The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. My name's Eric. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at the church, so uh, if you're a guest with us today, uh, let me welcome you. Uh, if you do have Bibles, you can go ahead and grab those or bring those out. We're going to be uh, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or you don't own a Bible, uh, we've got some blue, blue ones right back there on the shelf in the back. Uh, you feel free to take that one uh, with you. That's our gift to you. While you're turning to 1 Kings 19... I want to remind you of a story in the Gospels uh, out of John chapter 6. In, in John chapter 6, what happened was Jesus was going about and he was, he was performing miracles and signs and wonders. And, and all of these crowds, they, they began to follow Jesus. They began to uh, come in amazement and wonder of what Jesus was doing. And, and Jesus, because of the crowds, he goes up on the mountain and he sits down with his disciples and he says, he says to Philip, he says, Philip, he says, where can we get bread to feed all of these folks? Philip is like, oh, oh. man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take like over 200 days wages to feed all of these people. And still, that wouldn't even be enough. And one of the other disciples says, well, there's this kid, there's this boy who has a basket full of a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. Uh, can, can we use that? And Jesus is like, absolutely, watch this, right? And he says, tell all the people to sit down on the grass. And they all sit down on the grass, right? And then they start passing out uh, the bread. And it says that they all ate to their fill. It says that there were 5,000 people there. 5,000 people, a couple of loaves of bread, a couple of fish, was spread out between all these people and they all had their fill. And the Bible says that they had actually 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets left over. And so what happens was all of these people were fed by Jesus. Later, the, the, the gospel, it says that they left and they went across the waters. And Jesus went with them. And in, in the morning, it says all of these people came back to where Jesus was. And they were looking for him. They couldn't find him. Until finally, they did find him. And they said, Jesus, Jesus, we've been looking for you. Where have you been? And Jesus says, listen, you come to me because you had your fill. And now you're coming to me because you probably want breakfast too. He says, you come to me because you had your fill. But Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And, and he, says, he says, what you're looking for in your life to just simply fill your bellies will always go away. But what you really need in your soul is me. He says, you come to me because you just want some more bread. But really, I'm telling you, I'm offering you something greater. I'm offering you something better. I am the bread of life. Later in the story, when, they, when he wasn't giving them what they wanted, he was offering himself, but when he wasn't giving them what they wanted, it says that they all turned back and no longer followed Jesus. It says many of his disciples, they went and went the other way. And then his disciples are like, Jesus, this is a hard teaching. I mean, he couldn't, who can even ha handle that? And Jesus is like, do you, do you want to go too? And they said, where else can we go? Where else are we going to go? You are the one who has eternal life. They believed it. Listen, 
the people, they, they wanted not Jesus. They wanted what Jesus could bring them. They only wanted what Jesus could give them. Many times when people first come to Jesus, they come because they want God to add something to their life. There's this void. And so we think that maybe God can help fill the void. You see, uh, you come because you need peace, and you think, okay, well, Jesus can give me peace, and so I'll try that. Or maybe you need help in times of trouble, and you're like, man, I've really tried everything else. Maybe I'll go uh, to God in my time of trouble, or maybe I need comfort so, so that I wouldn't be worried, or, or maybe I just simply need a foundation for my family, and so I'm going to try this church thing, and I'm going to try this Jesus thing, and we come hoping that he would do that, or, or we come with guilt and shame, and we come to Jesus because uh, he can give us forgiveness, or we come to Jesus because in the end of all things, when we die, we want to be assured that we will go to heaven, and maybe Jesus can get me there. Now, now listen to me. Jesus is the answer to all of those voids. Jesus is the giver of peace. Jesus is the giver of comfort. Jesus is the only one that can forgive sins. And through Jesus, only through Jesus, can we have assurance of eternal life. But listen to me, because Jesus intends to give us more. He wants us to have more, not just simply to be forgiven, but to actually experience God. Jesus wants us to experience him, to taste him, to know him, because that is the path to eternal joy. He wants to give us more than peace. There's peace found in him. He wants to give us more than comfort, more than forgiveness. Listen, what if we as the church stop treating Jesus as a vending machine to get what we want? What if, what if we came wanting Jesus to be the center of our lives? What if, what if we stopped treating God as the great butler in the sky that would somehow deliver this thing that I'm really longing for? But what if we really started longing for Jesus? What would that church look like? Listen, I was reading this week about a great astronomer, uh, and his name was uh, Copernicus. In 19, uh, 1532... Copernicus came and he challenged the belief that everyone had that the earth was the center of the universe. In this time, everyone believed that, that everything revolved around the earth. They watched how the sun moved through the sky. They watched how the stars moved and the, and the moon was moving in the sky. And they felt like, okay, yeah, uh, uh, everything is revolving around the earth. But uh, Copernicus said, he said, no. He said, it's the earth that's actually moving. He said, we're not an earth-centered solar system. We are a sun-centered solar system. We're moving around the sun. And listen, he started a truth revolution. Each one of us need to have a truth revolution of the soul because so many people view their, their lives and their world as me-centered. We view our world as I'm the center and when people decide to follow Jesus, they, they come with this me-centered mindset. Maybe Jesus can help me. Maybe Jesus can help me get to where I want to be in my life. And so many people, listen, so many of you think that you're following Jesus, but in reality, all you've done is invited Jesus to follow you. Maybe Jesus can get me what I want. But Jesus... His greatest purpose in our life is when he comes and he says, 
follow me. He says, come and follow me. In, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we get a glimpse of this call, this high-purpose call. It's, it, it's, it's about the, the call of a prophet named Elijah who calls a prophet named Elisha. All right, those are very similar, and so if, if I talk too fast, you may get them confused, but Elijah comes first, Elisha comes second. And, and so when we read about this call, what happens is the prophet Elijah calls Elisha to come and follow him. Now, Elisha, he had a good life, but he knew that God was calling him to something greater. He knew that God had a different plan for his life, and the same thing goes for each one of us, many of us have what the world would see as a good life. They would look at you and say, well, you got a good life. Yet we're invited by Jesus to something greater, even greater than you ever thought imagined. And so the truth is, is that it will cost you everything. Look in uh, 1 Kings 19. We're going to pick it up in verse 19. So 1 Kings 19, 19. Here's what it says. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Everyone say 12 yoke of oxen. Awesome. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Now, the first thing that we need to see is that Elisha was rich. He was rich. And some of you are like, well, Eric, how, how, do, you, how do you know he was rich? Well, it said that he had 24 oxen, 12 sets of ox, 24 oxen. Now, in this day, an average middle-class family would have one, not one set, one ox. You with me on that? And so that's like someone saying, how many cars you got? I've got 24 cars. That's a big deal, right? So this guy, he's got 24 oxen. He's got 12 pairs. And it says that he was in line behind the 12th set, which means he had at least 11 other servants who were driving the other 11 sets, right? And so he's got servants plowing with 11 cents, and he is behind the 12. So he has at least 11 hired men, at least 11 servants, and 24 oxen. But not only that, he lives in a region that is called the Dancing Meadow. Everyone say Dancing Meadow. That sounds pleasant, doesn't it? It's called Dancing Meadow because it's seen as the sweetest land in Israel. It was seen as the most fertile land, and it ran right along the Jordan River. So let me just ask you a question. What do you call someone who lives on the best, most fertile land with a dozen servants and 24 times the, the average family? You call them rich. That's exactly what you call them. You call them rich. Listen, but Elisha knew that there was more to his life than just simply accumulating for himself. He knew that he had all of these things, but he knew that there was something greater. King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, he says I've had more than any of you can even imagine. My gold is, is as high as the sky. I have, I have 
I have kingdoms and homes and servants. I have it all. And you know what he says about it? He says it's unfulfilling. He says it's vanity. He actually says it's worthless. And some of you are thinking, if I could just get there, then I would have perfect. If I could just get there, then I would be fulfilled. And Solomon's saying, no, 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 take my word for it. I've been there. It doesn't fulfill you. Elisha has the dancing meadow kingdom. He has ox. He has servants. He has it all. But he knew that it wasn't satisfying. So, so here's, here's the deal. Have you ever got to the place in your life where you ask yourself, is there something more? Could there be something more? Have you ever got the place in your life where you, where you ask yourself, am I living the life that God wants me to live? Am I, am I pursuing the things in my life for my glory? Or am I pursuing things for his glory? Now, Elijah, he was a powerful prophet, and he walked up to Elijah, and without any words, he throws his cloak around him, which is a little weird. But it was a sign, it was a symbol of authority. It was actually a call to follow him. So Elijah, when he throws his coat around Elisha, he was saying, hey, leave this and come follow me. Now, what we have to understand is Elijah was not rich. He was actually very poor. He was actually on the run for his life. There were people trying to kill him. You with me on that? Listen, he would go hungry. He lived in caves. He was fed through the scraps from widows and children. And when he really got hungry, God used ravens to come and feed him. That's this guy's life, right? So hear me. Elisha is being called out of a life of comfort and into a life of sacrifice. He's being called out of a life of luxury and into a life of service. Now look at what it says in verse 20. And he, Elisha, after he got the cloak put around him, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to me, go back again, for what have I done to you? He says, he says what difference does it make to me? So, so imagine this. Imagine Elijah. Like, he's out there. He's plowing this field. I mean, he's got all these oxen. He's making a trench in the field, right? And this prophet Elijah comes walking by, doesn't say a word, and throws his coat on him and just keeps walking. <laughs> right? And Elijah's like, what in the world? Who's that? Hey, wait up, buddy. Right? And, and he's like, hey, okay, okay, I'm in this. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Uh, but first, let me go and he, let me go back and let me take care of something. And he's like, do, do what you need to do. And just keeps going. Just, just keeps going. Look at what it says. He says, let me go back again. He says, for what have I done to you? He returned from following him and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yoke of oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Some of the translations say he served him. Now, uh, Elijah goes back to the farm and he slaughters the ox. How many did he have? 20, at least 24. So he slaughters the oxen, and he gives the meat to the people of the community. Listen, 
one ox would feed a family of four for a year and a half. He had 24 ox. And so he goes back, and he starts the first ever golden corral. <laughs> People coming, buffet, right? I don't know if he had a chocolate fountain or not. But that's really why people go to Golden Corrals for the, the chocolate fountain. But, but here's the deal. He, he sets this buffet up. And, and what we really need to see is that Elisha, he, he didn't leave anything to fall back on. You got to hear that. Elisha, he goes and he burns it all. He sacrifices it all. It says that he even burned the plow. He didn't leave anything to fall back on. And then he rose and he went after Elijah and he became his servant. Get this in your mind. He goes from CEO of the Dancing Meadow Ranch to the unpaid intern. Now, some of you are thinking, well, maybe he just served him for a weekend. No, he served him for 18 years. Coffee and coffees. Coffee and coffees. Can I get you more coffee? 18 years. He served him. Now, listen, because there are many Christians in our world that miss out on the greatest invitation of their lives because they're afraid to forsake their comfort and luxuries. You miss out on the greatest call that God has for you. Listen to me. The path to the greatest life of you following Jesus, it always, always goes through the path of surrender, sacrifice, and service. It always does. Listen, Elisha literally cooked his old way of life. He got rid of his plan B, and he goes all in, and he became a servant. The kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, you will never outgrow a life of service and sacrifice. It's why Jesus says the greatest among you will be the servant. You'll never outgrow that. It's not like I'm just going to serve here, you know, get some coffee here and there. I'm going to just serve here a little bit until I graduate to the elite. No. Jesus says you'll always have a life of service. You follow me, you'll always have a life of sacrifice. Listen, if you're not willing to be a person that is marked by service and sacrifice, you'll never become the person that God intended you to be. You have to be marked by service and sacrifice. Listen, are you faithfully serving in the areas which God's placed you? And I'm not even talking about the church. I'm talking about in your homes, in your families, in your workplaces, in your schools. Are you constantly displaying attributes of service and sacrifice to what God has called you to do? Listen, some of you are like, Eric, I don't sing, and I don't play an instrument, and I'm not very good with the kids. And, and really, um, I'm not very clean either. So cleaning up, that's not my deal. Can, can I just be honest? If you're not willing to wash feet, you'll never be fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus, the king of all kings, washed feet. And he served his boys faithfully. And he serves his church all the way to death. Listen, if you can't change a diaper, you can't change the world. Don't expect some higher calling if you're not willing to serve and sacrifice. Listen, some of you think, man, I'm more awesome than that. Actually, that's degrading to me because I'm really cool. Listen, God doesn't need you. 
I'll just be honest. He doesn't, he doesn't need you. Like, like, we, like, you need God. You need God to work in you through those times of humility and service and sacrifice. And, and so here, here's the deal. Uh, one of the foundations here at LifePoint Church is following Jesus. And following Jesus is marked by joyful service and sacrifice. It always will be. And so let me just be really clear in case I'm not already clear. When you become a mission partner at LifePoint Church, you're signing up for a life of service and sacrifice. That's what you're signing up for. I'm giving my life for the kingdom. I'm giving my life for the glory of God. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Look in, look in Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8. I've got the ribbon here, so I know I'm much faster than you. Uh, but flip over to the New Testament, Mark, Mark chapter 8. Look at what Jesus says in verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says that he was calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Everyone say crowd. So Jesus is there, and he's not, he's not uh, pulling the elect few. He's not pulling the professional Christians. He's not calling the pastors. He actually says to the crowds, listen to what he says, to the crowds of people, if any one of you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Listen, maybe no one's ever told you this before, but I'll tell you. When you become a Christian, you put your yes on the table. When, when you become a Christian... You put your yes on the altar of God. M many of you thought that when you, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you actually get to pick and choose the conditions in which you're going to live. This is, these are the things that I will do. These are the things I won't do. These are the places I will go. These are the things I won't go. And so some of you think that when Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross and follow me, you actually think that he's talking about carrying something. We have this giant cross. Thanks, Kenny. A giant cross in the church. It sits uh, in the shed in the back. We have a little shed that we store, like, uh, Christmas stuff and totes and things like that. And every time we get in the shed, this, this cross is so big that we got to pull it all the way out, get the stuff that we want, and put it all the way back in because we don't really have a place to store it. And this is, this is our big cross. Listen, every time I ask someone to help me move the cross, you know what they say? Look. I'm carrying the cross. It's such a big, like it's a giant cross. It's such a burden to carry this cross. But listen, Jesus, when he was saying, take up your cross and follow me, he's not saying, okay, pick it up and carry it so that when I move over here, you can move over here and then rest. And then when you move over here, I'll pick it up and move over here and then rest. When Jesus says, take up your cross, he actually means to die on it. Listen, it's easy, Ken. Hey, uh, when I get to Mark chapter 8, I want you to bring the cross up. Can you do that for me? Oh, it's heavy, but I'll, I'll, I'll manage. But what if I said, okay, now, now lay down on it and let us nail you to it. 
and let us hang you on it until you suffocate and die. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm willing to carry it. But to die? Listen, when Jesus says, take up your cross, that's why he says, whoever will save his life, will lose. whoever loses his life will find it. He's talking about dying. When we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, we put our yes on the table, on the altar, every single time. To surrender your life to Jesus, it doesn't mean keeping the yes in your pocket or up your sleeve when you find something that Jesus calls to you to that's actually convenient or comfortable or worthy. Putting your yes on the altar means that I put my yes in the altar, so there is no more debate. There is no more confusion. There is no more, ah, I'm not sure if Jesus is asking me to do it. You know, the Bible says he is. And so when you become a Christian, you put your yes on the altar. Jesus will call us to serve. Jesus will call us to sacrifice. Listen, have you given him your yes? Have you said yes? No matter where you call me, no matter what you tell me, because following Jesus means denying everything that gets in the way of God's plan for your life. Listen, have you done that? Have you given Jesus your yes? We think that when Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to carry it, but he says, no, I want all of you. I don't want you to just move this thing around. I want you. When Jesus calls the crowds, he calls them to this kind of sacrifice. When he said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And the disciples were like, are you kidding me? Listen, Jesus, listen, okay. They, they probably just pulled him aside. They're probably like, okay, okay, that's, that's a little much. You know why? Because when you tell people that, you're not going to get a crowd. When you tell people to die on the cross, listen, you're not going to get some, some sacrifice. You're not, that's not what people want. People don't want to hear that. You're not going to lead a movement by calling people to die. It's not going to happen. You know what people want? People want empowerment. You know what people want? People want to feel good. You know what people want? People want lattes and luxuries. That's what's going to get them. You know what people want? They, want? they want programs and benefits. So if you could just be a church that actually gives out a bunch of bread and fish, they'll come. They'll come in the masses. But when you say that you, you have to die to yourself, listen, that's not what people want. People want their best life now. That's what people want. And I've told you before and I'll tell you again, the only way you get your best life now is if you're not going to heaven. It's the only way. And so, and so some of you say, Eric, come on. That's not how you grow the church. Maybe you're right. But a long time ago, I put my yes on the altar. I put my yes on the table. And I am unwilling to sacrifice the words of Jesus just simply so you could feel better about yourself. I am unwilling to sacrifice the words of Jesus, so that you could be more comfortable in your non-relationship with God. And so, and let me, let me just be honest with you. My number one priority is not growing this church. 
My number one priority is to the word of God and the gospel of God and asking people and telling people what Jesus said when he says, come to me. Trust me. Give your life to me. Follow me. Because that's the most joyful life. That's the best thing we could ever experience. Listen, no matter how hard it sounds, I will always call you to Jesus. And listen, the path to following Jesus is always a path of surrender. It's always a path of dying to self. It's always a path of service. It's always the path to sacrifice. Listen, I heard another pastor say this. He said, if you want fame and power, if you want earthly reward and self-fulfillment, then you should become a Muslim. Because the head of Islam actually rode a horse and conquered cities. That sounds pretty powerful. Yet Jesus is the one, the foundation of Christianity, actually washed feet and rode a donkey. And he rode the donkey all the way to a self-sacrificing death. He says, no one takes my life. I freely give it away so that they could live. And, and so God raised him from the dead, defeating death by death so that everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And so Jesus comes and he dies on the cross in our place so that we could put our faith in Jesus knowing that he paid the ultimate price for us so that we can now have new life, have eternal life. It says that we are born again. And because Jesus became a servant of all and laid down his life for all, we would say, I'm ready to give my life to you, Jesus. Jesus gave his life away for those who couldn't pay him back. And for us to follow him, it means we do the same. We lay down our lives for those who can't pay us back. That is the mark of following Jesus. You see, Elisha, he sacrificed all of his ox. It says that he actually burned the plow. So after sacrificing his plan B, he ran joyfully into God's plan A for him. You know the, the, the parable in, in Matthew 19? It's not actually a parable. It actually happened. Uh, there's, a, there's a young guy, a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Remember this story? There's a rich young ruler. He, he comes to Jesus and he has riches and he has power and he has fame. And he's young, so he probably has his health. And he says to Jesus, he says, he says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Every time I read this, I have this picture in my mind. I, I could just see Jesus walking through the town. And this, this, this rich dude, he comes up, hey, Jesus, Jesus, hey, hey, what good deed do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus probably stops and looks at him and says, keep the commandments. And he just keeps on walking. And the rich dude's like, hey, wait, 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 wait. I've done that since I was a kid. Huh? And I could just see Jesus just kind of stopping and turn around and be like, Okay. There's one more thing. I actually want you to go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. 
And the Bible says that the guy was unwilling because he had so much. Jesus says, okay, sacrifice your plan B and make me your plan A. And he says, no, I don't want that. Most people, they fall back onto their plan B when their plan A gets too risky, too scary, or too difficult. Which is why most of you are living your, your plan B. You're living your plan B because you've never burned the farm. You're living your plan B because you're unwilling to surrender. You're unwilling to sacrifice. You're unwilling to really follow Jesus. Listen, giving your life to Jesus means there is no plan B. My yes is in Christ. My yes is his. I don't have a plan B. Maybe you're here and you've asked Jesus to be your savior. Many people have asked Jesus to be their savior, but very few people have said, you're my Lord and you're my master and I will follow you and do whatever you want me to do because my heart is yours. My life is yours. In, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells uh, the shortest parable in the Bible. It's just one verse. And, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And when a man came upon it, it says that in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had to possess the field. In his joy, he went and he got rid of everything. Everything. The joy came in what he was attaining over than what he was giving up, which in this case was everything. He gave up everything to attain it. If LifePoint Church is going to be the church that God called us to be, we must be a people who in our joy would be willing to sacrifice everything. Be willing to lay down our life and serve Jesus over succeeding at anything else. Not because surrender and sacrifice and service will make you comfortable or rich, but rather because the path of sacrifice is the path to Jesus. It's how we find and follow Jesus. Our greatest fear, listen, our greatest fear cannot be in obeying what God's called us to do. Hey, I, listen, I talk to so many people who are just trapped by fear. I had a bad experience once, and so I can't do what God told me to do. I struggle with this, so I can't step. Listen, we are so shackled by fear. Our greatest fear cannot be stepping into what God's called us to be. Our greatest fear should be succeeding to the things that don't matter at all. So listen, your, your attendance, it doesn't matter at all. Your singing and lip service, it doesn't matter at all if you don't have Jesus. Matthew 25. Jesus and his disciples, his disciples come to him, and they ask Jesus about his triumphal return. He says, when are you going to come back? When are you going to make all things new? When are you going to finally fulfill this promise that, that your kingdom will be here? Well, Jesus talks about how that will happen, and Jesus talks about how no one knows the day or the hour. And then he tells a story about a man who is going on a journey. It says that he called his servants together and he trusted him, them with his property. 
And the master, right, he broke down his property into what's called talents or mina in Hebrew. And these talents, I don't know if you know what this is. Uh, a talent is, is uh, the same, is equal to uh, 20 years wages. 20 years wages. So in this day, a talent would be like a gold brick, right? So he would hand them bricks. And he says, he says the master would call his servants together. And to the first servants, he gave five gold bricks. To the second servant, he gave two gold bricks, two talents. And to the last servant, he gave one And the Bible says, Jesus says, as he tells the story, he says, the one who was given five, he took the blessing and he invested, he doubled it, and he used it for the master's glory. And the servant who was given two talents, he took the blessing and he doubled his for the master's glory. But the servant who had one talent, it said that he took it and he dug a hole in the ground and he buried it. He buried it. And so Jesus says that when the master returns, he called the first two servants together. And he said, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Now listen to the reward. He says, enter into the joy of your master. That's the reward. Enter into my joy. But the last servant, the one who buried the blessing, verse 25, it says, He says this to the master in a response. He says, I took it, I hid it, and I buried it. But here's what you you gave me. You can have it back. He says, I did that because I was afraid. I was afraid, so I hid it in the ground. Listen to me. Living your life of fear is not God's plan for you. Living your life in fear is not of God. Jesus actually calls this man worthless and wicked. When we live our lives in fear, we need to know that is not God's plan. Now, let me be very clear with you so you're not misunderstanding what I'm saying here and what Jesus is saying here. Listen, we are not saved because we use the blessing for the master. We use the blessing for the master because we are saved. You following that? Because we are his. My life is his. I've already told you, yes. Give me blood. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Listen, we're not saved because we serve and sacrifice for God. We serve and sacrifice for God because we are saved. That's what happens when we're born again. It's by grace that we're saved, by putting our yes in Jesus. And when our yes is in Jesus, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died and was raised. Listen to me. To live your life in fear is living a life that is separated from the master's joy. When you live your life in fear, you will never receive the true joy that is found in the master. Church, we must today cast our fears upon him. We must put our yes on the altar for him. 
We must, you must sacrifice your plan B and make following Jesus your plan A. We must be a church that's willing to surrender and sacrifice and serve because your joy is at stake. Your joy is at stake. Jesus says, here's the deal. All of me for all of you. That's how it works. You come to me with all of you, and I will give you all of me. And that's a great deal. Because when we come to Jesus, we come dead, we come broken, and we come dirty. Sinful as sinful can be. And Jesus says, when you come like that, I take it all from you. And I give you my righteousness and my life. That is the greatest exchange that the church could ever know. Let's pray for that.